Thanks for taking time to watch this video message. Our mission here at Crosspoint is to relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus. And we pray that by watching, you experience both the hope and love he has to offer you. If you have questions or need more information on the ministries of our church, visit us online at crosspointcity.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Last uh, gathering at 8.30, right after that video played, I didn't really say anything. And uh, they asked me why. And I said, my wife was in the video and I got really distracted because I was looking at her and the lights came on. I was like, oh, junk, I got to talk. So um, yeah, so I I made sure to do better, but I was a a little distracted by my wife in there. So anyways, uh, moving on here, before we dive into the message today, I wanted to share something that you guys have heard us talk about over the past uh, really the past two, three weeks, and, and it's, it's here now. So uh, Bless Weekend is coming up on Saturday, July 25th. And if you've been around Crosspoint in previous years, it used to be called Community Makeover. Um, but we changed the name up, got a new logo and all that good stuff. Uh, but but here's, here's why we did that. Uh, previous year's community makeover, we, we did service projects in our community. Uh, this year, after kind of prayerfully thinking about this event, I felt God kind of burdening my heart with something else that I think we, uh, an area of this community that we could serve in. And so we decided we were going to change up the event just a little bit. And here, here's what Bless Weekend is going to be made up of. We're still going to have service projects that we're going to do in our community. We're going to do seven different service projects throughout Bartow County, different schools, nonprofits, things like that. Um, we're also going to be partnering with an organization called Bartow give a kid a chance. What they do is they get kids prepared to go back to school, families who need help uh, sending their kids back to school because of cost of what it takes to get school supplies and all that. So they, they provide kids with school supplies, with haircuts, vision and dental screenings, um, all sorts of needs that a family would have as they get ready to send their little ones back to school. Uh, so we're going to be partnering with them as well. And so we're really just going to kind of take our church and split us up. Whereas some of us are going to go do service projects, some are going to go there. And um, we're really play, praying that God would just bless less that weekend like crazy. So all of, almost everything is going to be on Saturday, July 25th. There are a small number of opportunities on Saturday, or on Friday, July 24th with Bartow get a, Give a Kid a Chance if you're busy on uh, Saturday. So we want you guys to be a part of this. We want our church to come in and be a part of it. And there's those two elements. And there's also the, the other end that if you can't serve or if you, if you do plan on serving, you can participate in this as well. Last year, if you remember, we raised school supplies throughout the month of July to deliver and bless two local elementary schools with. Um, the feedback from that from those local principals was incredible. They, they appreciated it more than, you know, we gave thousands of school supplies to these schools to start their year off right. So we're going to be doing that as well this year along with Bless Weekend. So a couple things to know. On, if you walk, when you walked in the door, you probably saw all the Bless Weekend stuff going on in the lobby. That is for you to get signed up to serve at either a service project or with Bartow Give a Kid a Chance. Um, you can do that. We'll be out there every Sunday from now until July um, 12th, I think it is. What, the last day to register is July, Saturday, July 18th. So you can register at home through the 18th or you can register here in-house until the Sunday before the 18th. And, um, and also with that on the way out the door today, we're going to be giving out invite cards on those invite cards are specific needs of school supplies. That list was put together by teachers and principals, not us. And so they said, these are our most pressing needs that our kids have when they come back to school. So we want to try to stick to that list. So you're going to be getting handed one on the way out the door today. We'll be taking those school supplies all the way up to uh, Saturday, July 25th. So we can take those all month of July until that day and we'll deliver them that day. 
All right, and lastly, if you want to sign up at home and you don't want to do it here, simply go to our website, crosspointcity.com, homepage. There's a graphic of that and a couple of links on there that you can register to sign up if you'd like to do that at home instead of doing it here. All right, with that said, go ahead and take your Bibles out. If you have them, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be continuing the best sermon ever study that we've done over the past few years. Uh, But more specifically today, what we'll do is we're going to spend time in continuing in what is known as the Lord's Prayer And um, last week, if you remember, James started us off, and he started us off by looking at what it means for us to pray our Father in heaven. And he he looked at what does that mean uh, about God to us? How how does that reflect our relationship with God? And then what does that mean to approach God as Father as we pray to him? And then today, we're just going to continue right along in in this sermon this, uh, sermon series by Jesus together. So, Go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. We're going to be doing this starting in the second half of verse 9. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. If you would, go ahead and join me in praying, and let's just ask for God's help together before we get started. God, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity to come in and, and, and to learn from your word, God. And, and I just pray that today would be, be a time where we would just see you as more beautiful than we did when we walked in. Would you help us to understand why Jesus gave us these words? God, we are inadequate. I am inadequate to understand these things on our own, God, so we need your help. We are asking if you would come and help us in this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we come. Amen. Awesome. Well, I want to start today by asking all of you to think about a simple question. If you are a Christian in the room, I want you to think about this for a minute. What is the ultimate desire in your heart? What, what is the, the driving motivation behind everything you do with your life? What, what do you treasure and, and what motivates you and your life and the things that you do, the things that you believe in? What motivates you and, and what, what do you hold most dear more than anything else in this world? Think about this. For some of you, it's probably going to be uh, maybe financial motivations. Maybe I want to have a successful career because I want my family to be provided for and I want to move up and I want a a social status that would say, you know what, I I am successful and people will look at me as a successful person. Or maybe maybe when it even comes to your life as a Christian, think about the things you do as a Christian. Why, Why do you serve? What motivates you to give? What motivates you to show up here week after week? What drives you to do those things? And so, so for some of us, maybe in our life as a Christian, as we think about what drives us and motivates us, maybe it's because we feel guilted into doing the things that we do. Maybe we serve because we hear James talk about it all the time, and I think, man, if I don't serve, I'm tired of hearing that guy talk about it, so I'm just going to do it so I don't have to hear it anymore. Or maybe you give because the bucket's coming around, and you're, you're thinking about what the people next to you will think, or your wife wants you to give, so you just want to do it to get her off your back, so you give. But all of us have a reason for doing the things that we do. And I want, I want us to examine that question, and I want us to take that, because that's really where this passage is going to lead us today. And, and, and here's why I want us to look at that. What Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10, is absolutely foundational and, and really the cornerstone for meaningful prayer and, and our prayer to God and, and what our lives reflect whenever we pray. What, what he is teaching us is going to be really, he's going to dig underneath and get to the root of why we do every single thing that we do. And before I do that, there's some of those weeks, um, there's some of those weeks where, where before you get up to, to give a message and you preach or do anything like that, there's some of those weeks when I open the Word of God and I look at the Scriptures, and, I, and I'm, pray, I'm looking at the text, and I'm trying to prepare it, and I'm praying through it, and there's some of those weeks where, where arrogantly I'll walk in and think, 
I, I know it. I know what this says. I'm just going to go in and preach. And it's, a lot of those moments when I walk in in arrogance like that, it's when God takes the text and he slaps me across the face with it. And that's absolutely what happened to me this week. God took this text and, and just dug it so far into my heart and, and really wrung me out to think that I, I knew exactly what I was going to come up here and say and all this stuff. God used this text in a profound way in my life this week. He, he, he took it and just laid my heart bare and, and bore this text over me. So um, kind of made the 830 nervous. I said I could probably preach on it for two hours, um, but I won't do that. We'll keep it shorter than that today. So with that said, let's look at the first part. I'm just going to break these things down that Jesus shows us one by one. The first part we see Jesus showing us is the phrase, hallowed be your name. Now, if you grew up in the South, or if you grew up around church, or if you played sports or anything like that, you probably prayed the Lord's Prayer, as it's generally called, 1,000 times in your life so far. You have probably heard it over and over and recited it as a group over and over and over again. Now, if you're like me, when I did that, I would start praying, I'd get our Father in heaven, okay, I move past that, and then I get to this phrase, hallowed be your name, I have no idea what that means. I had, like, as a kid growing up, I'm like, I don't know what that, I've never heard that word before. And uh, so I would just do what everybody else did and just keep praying it and not think about it. But, but really, that, that's doing a dishonor to this text because this little phrase, hallowed be your name, is so critical to the rest of the Lord's Prayer. It is so absolutely critical. There is so much packed into this one little sentence that is so meaningful and going to build a foundation for the rest of this text. So let me just tell you what the word hallowed means. The word hallowed means to set something apart as holy in your life. It means to really take something and make it special or sacred or held with uh, great esteem in your life. It it means to, to reverence something, to honor something, to admire something, to value something, and to treasure something above all other things in your life. So, so Jesus is telling us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what he's telling us is when we pray, we are to go to God and say, God, would you help me to hallow, to honor, to esteem, to revere, to to make as holy, to set apart your name in my life? Would you help me to take uh, your, your glory, help me to be most passionate more than anything else about your glory, about your name? And the important part, the reason why I say that this part is so important is because everything else in the Lord's Prayer goes to serve the purpose of the hallowing of God's name. And let me explain that. God's kingdom comes for the hallowing of his name. God's will is done for the hallowing of his name. God gives us our daily bread for the hallowing of his name. He helps us to resist and escape from evil and temptation all for the hallowing of his name. And he, he forgives our sins through his son Jesus for the hallowing of his name. So everything that we're going to pray all points us to the fact that we are to hallow God's name. And, and the interesting part about Matthew 6 as well is that this, this, word, this phrase, hallowed be your name, is the only part where an explicit act of the human heart is given. Everything else will flesh itself out uh, physically. Hallowing God's name is going to flesh itself out in our heart. God, help us in our hearts to revere you, to esteem you, to hold you as holy, as special, above everything else in my life. It's the one part where he says, an act of the human heart to be given to us. And so Jesus is leading us to ask God, God, would you help me, would you help us as the church to desire your glory, desire your fame, desire your name to be esteemed and put above everything else in our world? And for all of us, for all the Christians in the room, everything in our lives serves that end. 
Everything in our lives serves the purpose of the hallowing of God's name. All of our prayers, all of the things we ask for, all should go to the purpose. Jesus is, Jesus is leading us to, to lead it all for the purpose of God's name to be made great in our world today. And here's why this is such a big deal. It is completely possible, 100% possible, to want all of God's stuff, to want all of the things that God can give us and never actually want God himself. It, it is possible to look at everything that God has as, as ruler, creator over the universe and say, God, I want your things. Like a selfish child, we might approach him and say, God, I want your stuff, but we really don't care about him. We might want the gifts, but sometimes we'll never want the giver. And so he's teaching us above anything else, above the gifts, all of these things. Because if you look at everything, everything else in the Lord's prayer can be wanted and not actually want God himself. So if you look at... Uh, if you look at the forgiveness of sins, we could, we could feel like we've done something bad and feel this self-imposed guilt and not want to feel that and not be remorseful anymore. So we'll ask God uh, for forgiveness of sins. Or we could want our daily bread. This is probably the most common and not actually want God himself. We could want him to keep us from evil and temptation and never actually want God. All of those things can happen. And it'd be all with the wrong motivations in mind. And let me show you an example of sometimes I think how we can treat God that might help. So um, I've got, in this story, I'll share two different friends. I've got one, one a, gr- a group of friends, a, cu- a married couple, and they've got a little girl. Um, I think she's around two years old. On the other side, I've got a single friend. Um, and, and so the, the married couple, their little girl, their girl is absolutely adorable. She's one of those kids that when she comes into the room, she lights up the room. She makes everybody just laugh and smile and have a good time. And everybody kind of wants to be around her. And so this little girl chooses to go around almost anyone else except for our single friend. She, for whatever reason, never wants to go around him. And it drives him absolutely insane. It, it, it just digs at his core because this little girl does not ever want to come around him. She'll run to anyone else in the room except for him. And, and so he got kind of tired of it. And so uh, they kind of figured out a way. Well, apparently the little girl likes raisins. And so he got a box of raisins and kind of, he pulled, she got the raisins out, showed it to her, and she came running to him. And now every single time that he's around, she associates him as the raisin man, and she'll go to him thinking that he has raisins. Now, we told him, dude, that is, that's really creepy. You probably shouldn't do that, and it's probably not safe, but um, don't, don't freak out. He, he's, he's a good dude. So, um, but we told him, it's probably not smart. But she does, she is, he's raisin man. So any time that he comes around and she, she runs in the room. She'll, she'll now go to him because she associates him with something that she can get. And if we're not careful, I feel like that's how a lot of us can treat God at times. We'll, we'll treat God like, hey, we can bend his hand and, and he can give us stuff if I pray things the right way. Or I can bend his hand and he really will bless me with things or he'll help me increase in my job and he'll give me uh, more things on this earth But before he gave us anything, we were completely disinterested. And so if we're not careful, you and I will treat God that way where we have no interest in actually going to him, getting to know him for who he is, loving him for who he is, and instead we'll say, God, I just want your stuff. I want your things. And is that how you see God? And maybe you don't do it on purpose. Maybe it's an inadvertent thing in your life, but is that how you treat God? Think about that in your heart. Do you treat God as, uh, as more of a genie in the bottle that can just give you whatever that you want? 
Or is God a loving father that you go to and say, God, more than anything in this world, more than anything I want in my life, I want your name to be hallowed. I want you to be set apart as holy. I want you to be a king of my life. I want everything I do to serve the purpose of your name being made great with my life. I don't care what it takes. I don't care where that sends me. I don't care what has to happen. I don't care what I get out of it, but my satisfaction will be in the hallowing of your name. Is that how we see God? Because that's what Jesus is wanting us to see here. Here's why this is so important. It's why, it's why this is the most important thing for us to understand and why Jesus leads into the prayer with this. God's main goal in the universe is the hallowing of his own name. God's main primary goal above everything else in the world is the hallowing of his own name. I'll never forget a night. Uh, I was a young guy in ministry. I just really kind of got my first spot in ministry, and I was working bivocationally, uh, working full-time, and doing a little bit of ministry on the side. And, and our team got together one night, and um, they, they brought, our leader brought a guest, like, speaker in, basically, in a small team of pastors and leaders. And, um, and we came in, and this guy was going to just really do, like, an encourage, he's going to sh- give us a message and kind of just challenge us and, and hopefully encourage us and, and do something like that. So we all get together, and he, and he started the night by asking this simple question. He said, why did God create you? Why did God create you? Think about that. Why did God create you? And for most of us in the room, most of the pastors and the leaders that were in the room, we thought that was a really easy question. So um, if you've ever been in the room before when somebody asks a question and expects, expects a response and it's really elementary and easy and everybody's a little nervous to answer because they don't want to be the doofus in the room that blew the answer and so nobody says anything, that was what was going on in our, in our room. Nobody wanted to speak up because they thought, well, I know this answer. And uh, so finally, one of, our, one of our guys on the team had the courage to speak up, and he said, to bring God glory? And he was super nervous in and, 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 and his asking, and, and the guy looked at him, and he said, he said, you know, I usually get that answer when I ask that question to, to leaders, but he said, no, that's not the, the right answer. And so I said a little confused, because that was my answer, too. I was going to be the doofus in the room that said the wrong, wrong thing. And so I sat by, and I listened to this guy tell us for a while that, that God created people, God created us because he wanted someone to love and that, that he was lonely. And I kind of sat there super confused and I said, so the all-sufficient God, the eternal beautiful God that, that, is, that needs nothing, that lacks in nothing, needed a bunch of whiny, bratty children to love. <laughs> that can't be right. And, but, but that question and that understanding, which I believe that understanding is wrong, that God needed to love us and, and wanted someone to, to he needed us and, and wanted to care for people. Now, here's what I'll say before anyone disagrees with me. God absolutely does love you. God absolutely does care for you. God absolutely does want to provide for you. And God absolutely does want a relationship with you. And we see that, namely, in the work of Jesus on the cross. Those things are absolutely true. But all of those things serve a a purpose far greater than ending on you. All of those things, God, God granting us those things, God having a relationship with us, God sending his son, all of those things have a greater purpose in the universe than for it to terminate on you and for it to terminate on me. And that is namely that God, over anything else in this universe, wants his name to be hallowed. God, God desires first and foremost over anything else in the universe that his name would be glorified, his name would be honored, his name would be esteemed, that he would be made much of in our world. Everything serves that end. But here's the good news for you and me. The chief end of man, the chief end of us, everything for us ends with glorifying God 
and enjoying him forever. So you and I, when our lives hallow God's name, when our lives bring, brings God glory, all of that serves the purpose for you to enjoy him. God's glorified, and we find our greatest joy in God being glorified. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that, that when we bring glory to God, when our lives are spent for God's name to be made famous in our world we find our most satisfaction and joy there. Everything else is meaningless. All of the gifts do not mean nothing if, if we do not enjoy God for who he is. And in enjoying God for who he is, he is extremely glorified. And I want to give you a, a, just a list of scriptures that help point this out and show that this is true. For anybody type A in the room, I'm about to le- read a lot of text. So don't try to take notes. I can get you a list if you want. Um, but, but just listen to this because the word of God puts it so, far, far better than I ever could. God seeks the hallowing of his name in pardoning and forgiving us. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. That's Psalm 25, 11. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That's 1 John 2.12. He seeks the hallowing of his name in saving us, yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power, Psalm 106.8. He seeks the hallowing of his name in restraining his anger. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. That's Isaiah 48.9. He seeks the hallowing of his name and not forsaking us or spurning us. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. That's 1 Samuel twelve twenty two. Do not spurn us for your namesake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Jeremiah fourteen twenty one. He seeks the hallowing of his name and leading us in righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, Psalm 23, 3. He seeks the hallowing of his name in helping, delivering, and atoning. Help us, God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake, Psalm 79, 9. He seeks the hallowing of his name in preserving our lives. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life, Psalm 143, 11. And lastly, he seeks the hallowing of his name in gathering, cleansing, and renewing his people. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, declares the Lord, when I gather you from all countries and sprinkle clean water on you and give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's Ezekiel 36, 23 to 36. So you see the point. God God is, is serious about his namesake. God is serious about the hallowing of his name. And I could give many more verses that point to that exact thing in the scriptures. I could give them all day. That God is serious about the glory of his name. God is serious about the hallowing of his name. And everything else in our lives should point towards the hallowing of God's name. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray that way. So everything in our prayers, our motivation for praying is that in everything we do, in everything we pray for, God's name would be hallowed. And as we've laid that foundation, let's look at the next two parts, uh, what Jesus teaches us. Look at uh, Matthew 6, verse 10 again. Next, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Something happens to people whenever they value something as most important in their lives. Something, something happens to them and they begin to uh, do things and operate in a different way than they did before when you value something more than you value anything else in the world. Let me, let me give you a, a practical example. Um, so 
my, my wife and I, we've been together for some years now, and when we first met, one of our first couple of dates, uh, we went out to dinner, and we spent hours just talking to one another. Um, and so we're just getting to know each other. We're sharing stuff about our life, sharing what we care about most, sharing all that kind of stuff. And, and she asked me at the table this simple question. It was a big deal to her. Do you like Harry Potter? And I said... I said, yes, I like Harry Potter. I enjoy the movies. And I was kind of embellishing my story because I'd only seen a few of them out of like the seven um, or however many there are, seven or eight. And so, so I'd only seen a few of them. And I said, yeah, I, I love it. Well, apparently I, I embellished my story enough to where she thought I was a super fan. And I just wasn't. I'd never read the books. I'd seen a couple of the movies. And they were just not that big of a deal in my life at that time. Little did I know, I was sitting across the table from the number one Harry Potter fangirl that walks the planet. And so she is jacked up thinking, this is the guy in my dreams. He loves Jesus. He loves Harry Potter. This is him. And, and I kind of lied about a little of it. So she, she didn't really know how to take it. But now, now that's how I, I was at that point in my life. But if you fast forward to now, the thing that she cared about, namely Harry Potter, now I care about in the same way. Now this illustration is very lacking because it's so goofy. But, but something as, as simple as Harry Potter, because she valued those stories so much. They were so important to her life, to her childhood, to her, just her life in general. And so it was something that I did not care about, but then I fell in love with her, and I began to treasure her more than anything else on this planet. I, I don't treasure anything more, anyone more, than I treasure my wife. I love her more than I love anyone else on this entire planet. Everyone else falls woefully short at number two compared to her. She is the most important person to me, and something that she loved, those stories, now, if you fast forward now, I love those same things. So if you go home and look at my nightstand right now, and the few books that I'm reading, one of those books is one of the Harry Potter books. Uh, and now I'm the guy, if we watch movies at night, I'm the one that suggests, hey, why don't we watch another Harry Potter movie for the 10,000th time? Uh, I, I'm that one. We fashion our vacations around that set of stories. We are ferociously serious about enjoying those stories. And now I'm the one that kind of helps lead the charge. But, but understand this way. I don't like those stories because I wanted to impress her, because I wanted her to be happy with me, because I needed something to talk with her about. That's not why I like those stories. I love her so much, so I began to enjoy those stories unknowing to myself. Like, I didn't realize over time that I was beginning to love the things that she loved. I was beginning to enjoy the things that she enjoyed. And why is that? Because when you fall in love with someone, you begin to like the things that they like. You begin to enjoy the things that they enjoy. And that, 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 that example falls short, but that's what Jesus is showing us here. When you fall in love with God, when you ha have given, you say, you know what, God, more than anything, I want your name to be hallowed. I, you are the greatest reality for me. You're the, I, I love you more than anything else in this world, and I want my life to be spent for your glory. When you do that, you become about your father's business. In the same way that I uh, inadvertently began to be about her stuff, inadvertently, when we hallow God's name, when he is primary in our hearts, we begin to think, love the things that God is about. So, so, so I don't have to muster up some sort of love to serve or give. I want to see God's name hallowed in the world, so we are going to serve and give because God's name is going to be hallowed through doing that. Does that make sense? When we fall in love with someone, our lives begin to reflect the things that they love. And, and Jesus is showing us that in verse 10. And so in verse 10, he shows us the first thing. He says that we would pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come on the earth? 
What does it mean for God to use his church to help his kingdom to come on the earth? Uh, the, The presence of God's kingdom right now in our world means this. It means for the believers that the reign of Jesus would fill our hearts and our lives, that that Jesus' reign and and rule in the heavenlies, that everything that he is about, we we would be about those things. We would be about the same things that Jesus was about when he came down, wrapped himself in flesh, and inaugurated the kingdom into our world. We would be about the very same things, that we would reflect his love, we would obey his commands, we would honor him, we would do good for all people, and we would proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus accomplished on the cross. God wants our lives to be filled, making much of his name, starting with the bringing of his kingdom on the earth. What praying for God's kingdom to come does not mean is that we lock ourselves away, pray that God would hurry up and come so he can blow the earth to smithereens and rapture us to heaven. That's, that's not what it means. It means that his church would actually pray for and grow in the reflecting of his kingdom and his reign right here and now. That, that, that we would go out into the world and show a lost and broken, broken world what God has for them. That we would push back evil and darkness in our world because we are bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a broken world who needs it so desperately. God wants to use his church to reflect that. God wants to, us to show his kingdom here on the earth. So are you praying for that to happen in your own life? Are you praying for, God, use me? Because, because I want your name hallowed, because I want you to be lifted up and glorified, God, would you use me in advancing your kingdom in my life? We have to stop. I pray that this goes away. As Christians, we cannot treat church like it's some sort of a gas station. And let me explain that. We can't treat coming here each week like we're coming to get filled up to go run out to the big big bad world for the rest of the week. Like we're just getting enough gasoline to get us through to the next Sunday so that we can come back in and get filled up again. We're we're running so beat down that, that God's kingdom has never really advanced in our lives during the week, but really we live for Sundays only. Can I tell you, that's that's not advancing God's kingdom in the world. I pray that our church would be an encouragement for you. I pray that our church would be a blessing for you. I pray that when you come in here each week, when you hear about all that Jesus has done, you would walk out of the door with your faith stronger than when you walked in the door. I pray that all of those things are true. But all of those things happen so that God's kingdom would be advanced Monday to Saturday as well. Not just for it to come in here and sing songs and be taught one day a week, but God wants to advance his kingdom every day of the week. And if you look at the early church in the book of Acts, that's exactly what was happening. They were coming together in their gathering to celebrate the gospel ministry that had happened the rest of the week. The kingdom of God was being advanced. The kingdom of God was growing. God's name was being hallowed in the world due to his kingdom coming through his church. And they would come together and they would celebrate that. So would you pray that God would would use your life, that this would be an encouragement, but this is not a gas station, but rather this is a celebration of everything that God is doing through his church in our world, reaching people with the gospel. Would that be the case for your life? And the last thing from this prayer that Jesus shows us is that we would pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask yourself this question. When you pray and the things that you pray for, maybe you don't explicitly say this, but if we could look at what we pray, are we praying for thy will be done or my will be done? 
Are we praying, Lord, we want your will to be done, or would my prayers indicate that I am saying, God, I want my will to be done? The things that I want in this world, God, would you help those to happen so so that I could be made much of, so that I could advance in my life, so that I could do all of these things, God? Would you help me to do that? Or are we saying, God, I don't care where it takes us. I don't care what happens. I don't care where I have to go. I don't care who I have to talk to. I don't care what job I have to work. I don't care what happens with my life. But, but Jesus, would you let your will be done so that your name would be hallowed in the earth? Is that what our prayers reflect? Does the hallowing of God's name shape how we pray? Do the things we pray for flow from, God, we want you to be made much of. God, we want you to be glorified. Don't let it be me. As John the Baptist said, I need to decrease so that you can increase. Would you let that happen so that we would glorify, hallow your name in our world today? And so what, what is the will of God and how can we know it? Because it, we... In theological understanding, you can look at the will. There, there's really two, two ideas in the will of God. One, uh, that we know the will of God will happen, God's sovereign decree. When God declares something is going to happen, it is going to happen. Nothing will stand in the way from God's sovereign will happening in the universe. No, no force will come against that. Nobody will stop it. What God says will happen. It's not an if, it's an absolute God's will will be done in the earth. But then there's also the thing called the revealed will of God, the things that God has shown us that pertain to the life of his church in this book. So God God shows us things in in the scriptures that he he wants us to grow in our sanctification. He wants us to grow in our holiness. He wants us to, to grow in obedience to his word. He wants us to do the things that he has explicitly revealed to us. And for some of us in the room, we, we get crippled by the understanding of God. I need to know your will. I need to know your will. Do I need to go do this? Do I need to go do that? Help me to see your uh, sovereign decreed will. But instead of asking that, what if we were just obedient to the things that God has plainly revealed to us? What if we just obeyed in the things that God has shown us to obey in? And I'm convinced that the rest of our lives would make a lot more sense and the kingdom of God would be advanced and God's will would be done in the earth and ultimately God's name would be hallowed if we would just take the things that God has revealed to us and do the things that he's shown to be true. Sometimes doing the will of God will be costly. Sometimes doing the will of God will be painful. And you guys probably know this more uh, than I would right now. I, I work around Christians most of the time. You, most of you probably don't. And you work in places where sometimes doing the will of God is exceptionally hard. But in those moments, that is when we remember that the hallowing of God's name is primary. And we were to pray to ask for God's help. God, would you help me in this area to obey your will? Each and every day, throughout the week, God wants us to accomplish his will on the earth. In closing, I want to end the message today by looking at a story A story from the scriptures where the will of God was obeyed perfectly. The will of God was obeyed perfectly and someone had to submit to the Father's will, but it changed the course of history for everyone. So if you would flip to Matthew 26, 39 together. The story is the the Lord Jesus that right before he was going to be arrested, persecuted, crucified, put to death... Right before he does that, before, before they come to arrest him, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays to God right before all of this happens. And read what he says in verse 39. 
And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Up until this point in this ministry, this is why this story is fascinating to me. Up until the point, this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he has been absolutely unshakable. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can slow him down. Uh, he, he doesn't question any. He doesn't ask God anything like that. He, he, he's, he's unshakable throughout his ministry. And he comes the night before his death, and he lays down before the Father, and he falls on his face, and he said, Lord, if it is possible, would you let this cup pass from me? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it's interesting because if you if you look at what Jesus said, we know he's about to be we know he's about to suffer. We know he's about to have a crown of thorns put on his head. We know he's going to be mocked and flogged and spit on, and people are going to ridicule him. And he's going to be publicly shamed and embarrassed. And ultimately, he's going to be put to a physical death that is absolutely brutal. And he sees that coming. He sees it coming, and he says, "God, would you let this cup pass from me?" But the interesting part is this. Was, was Jesus praying to get out of physical death? The reason why I would overwhelmingly say the answer to that is no is because of this. We know history, and even up until this day, Jesus' disciples have been put to death brutally. Many of the disciples that walked with Jesus during his life were put to brutal deaths, and many of them went joyfully and willingly, singing and praising God all the way to the tomb. And they were, they were just glad and rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And so was Jesus terrified of something that his disciples weren't? That's, that's not true. Here's what Jesus was seeing as he went there. He says, Lord, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? If it's possible, let this cup pass. What is the cup that he's referring to? The cup in the Old Testament signified the wrath of God that was going to come on human evil. The cup signified the due wrath of God, the just punishment to evil, to sin that takes place in our world. And, and this cup is talked about throughout the Old Testament. And what Jesus is seeing when he lays himself down bare and he prays to God, would you let this cup pass from me? What he is seeing is he's seeing the cup of God's wrath that's about to be poured out on the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He's seeing the cup of God's wrath that is justfully due to every single one of us. He's seeing the cup of God's wrath that was going to be poured out on every child of God that ever lived. And he saw, I know I'm about to be beaten physically. I know I'm going to be ridiculed. I know they're going to put a crown of thorns on me, and I know ultimately I'm going to die. But he looked and he said, Lord, he falls in agony. Lord, if it's possible, would you let this cup, let the cup of God's wrath pass from me? But what does he say? He says, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus knew what it was going to take. Jesus knew that he, he was going to have to drink the cup of God's wrath in full as he ransomed a people for himself, as he bought the redemption of anyone by faith that would place their trust in his son, Jesus. Jesus knew he was coming to pay that debt. And he knew he was going to pay it in full. And he said, I'll go. Not as I will, but you, your, your will be done. And so in the life of ministry, the three things we talked about today, the hallowing of God's name, his will being done, and his kingdom coming, all three of those things are present. 
When Jesus came and he wrapped himself in flesh and he came to our world, the incarnate Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. And we know that one day he is going to return and consummate to bring into full the kingdom of God. It's going to come. And and even down to his death, death on a cross, he submitted and obeyed to the will of God perfectly. Never wavered from it. In everything that Jesus did, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, every single thing that he did, God was glorified. God's name was hallowed. God's name was made much of. God was honored and and his name was lifted up in our world because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And so for us, if we want to see those things, if we want to see the example, let's look no farther than to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look as he modeled those things perfectly for us. Would we hallow God's name above anything else? Would we say, God, we want to let your kingdom come and your will be done through our lives and through the life of your church? And so we're going to get ready. The band's going to come up and do another song here in just a moment. And as we're doing that, I just want you to just just pray. Ask God, God, what can I do to hallow your name more? Because we're, we're all insufficient in this area. I fall woefully short of hallowing God's name like I know I ought to. So would you join me in just asking God as his church, God, how can we honor and glorify you more and more with our lives today?